Here we go. Rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Adam Stenko is out West. Just two plugged in dudes talking a little bit of life and a whole lot of hoops. As we record this on Monday morning, we'll have Going ISO, the long form edition that comes your way every Thursday. Nate Duncan from the Hollinger and Duncan podcast, the Dunked On Basketball podcast. You know him from Twitter. We'll go personal and professional with Nate on Thursday. Adam, you good? I'm good. You know him from Twitter is... It's such a great comment, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that's that's this decade, or I should well, the last decade. That's the past ten years. You can develop a personality on Twitter, and that's what he's done. And friendships, right? We, we you get to learn about people. And uh, I asked you about, I think it was even Nate the other day. I said, Noah, how do you guys know each other? And you're thinking about it, and you go, I think just through Twitter. Isn't it yeah. weird that that's Twitter, how podcasts. friendships and relationships and podcasts and so I would say relationships can start friendships i don't know i mean you get to you get to know somebody's twitter personality and i also do think there are times you get to know a person a little bit more than they might want you to know them on twitter but as you know very well especially when it comes to nba twitter drives me up a wall i have no friendships on nba twitter i just want to make that very clear all right, the Bucks aren't making a whole lot of friends, and we're going to get into Zion coming up in a little bit. But the Bucks aren't making friends around the league. They're 35 and 6. And going into the season, my bold prediction for the league was that we would not have any 60 win teams this year for the first time since the 2000 2001 season. Well, that's not going to happen. Bucks are at 35 and 6. And I don't even think that they need to not go for 70 to get 70 because. Not like Giannis plays a whole lot of minutes to begin with. Well, I think that's a critical point. So 35 and six. So we're literally at the at the halfway point for the Bucks for the season. So literally on pace for obviously to go 70 and 12. And you bring it up, Giannis playing the fewest minutes, 30 minutes a game, fewest minutes since his rookie season. So this team is winning through depth. And by the way, Noah, not just 35 and six, but this team started six and three. So they're 29 and three in their last 32 games. <laughs> and it's absurd to me just how well they're playing. And you look, their three losses. They lost to the Mavs at home, at the Sixers, and then at the Spurs when they played the Spurs uh, in consecutive games. And I think the biggest thing for me is just sort of not just the impact that Giannis has had, but almost that I feel like, I hate to say this because it sounds weird in a, in a way counterintuitive, but I almost feel like he's doing it single-handedly in the sense that they don't have other star power outside of Giannis. There are many good players on this team and a lot of guys have been impactful and their depth I think has been critical, but it's just the sheer force of will what Giannis does to create for others. I I obviously love James Harden. Uh, there are, you know, what LeBron and AD are doing this year is spectacular. But I just think, I mean, I don't think there, and, and of course, Luca, what his impact has been. But I just think Giannis away from the Bucks, like, I think they're solid. I think they're decent. But I don't know how many wins they're having in 41 games. I don't know what your guess would be on that. But to me, with Giannis, like he just makes that team everything. He gives them their entire personality and identity. Yeah, he's the MVP of the league. And you, and you go back to Christmas Day when the Sixers won the NBA title that day. 
And the Sixers, <laughs> when they beat the Bucks, and the Sixers yes. since then are two and five, and they've lost Embiid. And the Bucks, as we record this on on Monday morning, January thirteenth, and the Bucks are eight and one. So let's look at a few Bucks numbers. Number one defense in the league. Number three offense in the league. Number one net rating at eleven point seven. That's a difference. And so the number two team in the league is the Lakers at 8.1. You got to go back to that dominant 2017 Warriors team to find a net rating as high as, well, they were 11.4, and they had the gap of four between themselves and the Spurs that were second. Last year, net rating for the Bucs, they led the league at 8.6. Right now, they're at 11.7. And you think about, try to put it in perspective, the Warriors last year were at 6.5. So I started thinking about, yes, it's the the one star in Giannis, and then what would be a successful season, but I think the free agency or the pre-agency that is looming over the Milwaukee Bucks about what this season really means. So I went back and looked at what Jordan had done. So Giannis, the MVP of the league, could be the back-to-back MVP. It's the only time that last year when he won it that he finished in the top five of MVP. When Jordan was going through his playoff struggles, So 87, finished second in the MVP. 88, he won it. 89, he finished second. And in 1990, he finished third. In 87, they got swept in the first round. In 88, lost in the the Eastern Conference semis after going going five games with the Cavs in the first round. 89, lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to Detroit. 90, lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to Detroit. But the Bucs have only had under... Giannis in a top five MVP, just one run. I'm always interested to see how the the run is characterized. And just going back to Jordan and then trying to find some quotes, like in game two, after they lost in 1990, game two, they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Pistons. So the lead was the Chicago Bulls, and this one, the New York Times, the Chicago Bulls are still a one-man gang, and Michael Jordan is it. And he's not happy. And Jordan, after that game two loss, declined interviews, stormed out, still in his warmups, sat on the bus by himself, waited for the rest of the team. So that, that, was, that was Michael Jordan, <laughs> ultimate competitor, and had been top three MVP, won it in 88, and they couldn't make it to the NBA Finals. A couple takeaways from this. So first of all, it just shows you the difference in eras because the headlines, well, of course, you're you're grabbing just from one. But you can imagine, though, the headlines now would be, how come the Bulls can't get Jordan any help? Here's an MVP. Everyone's going to want to race to go play with this guy, right? Like that, that, that would have been the difference. Everyone would have been charging to go play with an MVP guy. Or, or where's where where Jordan going to play next? Because he can't oh, stay in Chicago because they can't win. Yes, they can't win. Look, he's a one-man team. And and also, by the way, I mean, I, I've always loved this about the NBA, that unlike the NFL, that you don't see teams pop up out of nowhere and just become competitive. That you need to build a winning culture, and then you need to go trial by fire. And, you know, that was always so indicative of that, that 80s run where it was you know, the Pistons couldn't get by the Celtics and then they finally get over the hump. And then the Bulls couldn't get through the Pistons and they finally get over the hump. And then other teams, we talked to Kevin Willis recently and he talked about, he thought they were close and then the Hawks sort of gave up on, you know, their their core group of 
of guys and other teams sort of did the same. And I just think it's interesting right now when you compare it to the current era that everyone went crazy and said, well, you need at least two superstars. You look at what the Clippers built. You look at what the Lakers built. And the Bucks sort of kept their core intact. And if anything, lost Malcolm Brogdon, who right. you could argue, I mean, with his start in Indiana this year, that he would have been their second best player. I mean, him or Chris Middleton, obviously. And so they lose a guy. And again, they're deep. The question ultimately comes down to, Noah, this Bucks team, if I told you that you had to place a massive bet that they get to the NBA Finals, with all of this being said, 29-3 and three over their last 32, just sheer dominance this season, and no other Eastern Conference teams really seem that imposing during the regular season, would you take the Bucks to get to the Finals if you had a monster bet that you, that you had to make? I would. If, if I had to make the bet, I would, simply because no other team gives me any sort of confidence in them. So the Sixers, yeah, talent is there, but the Sixers haven't proven that they can consistently beat good teams or even put things together for a long stretch of time. The Raptors don't have their star in Kawhi. Getting Pascal Siakam back, I think the second round of the playoffs is going to be a battle in the Eastern Conference. And then Miami, not there yet. I think Boston on paper, would be the second-best team. But I don't see any reason why it couldn't be the Bucs or why it shouldn't be the Bucs at this point. Free-throw shooting might be an issue since Giannis is shooting about 60%. So if you just want to try to send him to the free-throw line, that might be the way to beat him. But I don't know how sustainable that is over seven games. I guess the only question that you could have about the Bucs, and I don't even think this is a fair criticism. I think if you're just looking to poke holes, I think... Their depth has been critical in addition to, obviously, Giannis' uh, dominance. Their depth has been critical throughout this regular season, and that has helped them keep up, just keep winning consistently. And people will say, well, you all of a sudden your rotation shorter in the playoffs. But the only argument to that is those other guys have played really well. They're great defensively. And guess what? Giannis is going to play more than 30 minutes a night in the playoffs. Right. So if anything, that's where the shortened rotation comes from. Yeah, so again, I didn't think we'd have a 60-win team this year. I mean, they could win 70 and not have to go for 70 the way they're, the way they're playing. And they've got, absolutely coming up in open gym, one of the games I'm pumped about involves the Bucks, And we're going to be seeing a lot of the Bucks on national TV over the second half of the season. Coming up next, Zion. Still hasn't played when he does. Should we be concerned that he'll be lost again? So we could have Giannis and the Bucks against Zion in New Orleans on February 4th. That's a TNT game. Zion could be back soon. But Adam, when he does come back, I think a reasonable question is, how long is he actually going to be out there on the floor given his conditioning? All the questions about Zion are, are reasonable right now because no one knows anything. And anybody who does... um they're they're lying to you or, or certainly hasn't been around him and i just know you know and the reason that that we decided to talk about this is that there is growing concern now around some zion folks that that he's not in the shape that he needs to be and and right now that's a major concern when you hear about the walk before you can run 
discussion all of a sudden people started freaking out a little bit like what Zion doesn't know how to walk well no of course he's he's one of the best pure athletes and he's worked to be in that condition I always hate that when it's like oh he's this natural athlete he came out of the womb that way no he, he's put in the work and he's trained and and gotten himself to a position where he is a freakish athlete a guy that out jumps the vertical testing machines uh, at his weight and he already was coming into the NBA as the second heaviest player in the league behind Boban. But there are concerns about Zion's weight and his ability to stay in shape. And I know, know that, that I worry about the idea that when this guy gets back, if he has not lost weight and he is not in peak condition, then you could be looking at a situation where he risks re-injuring himself. And after everyone went bananas about his preseason and and rightfully so because he showed the potential that's there and he's an awesome teammate and by all accounts an awesome guy so I really want to see him make it but at the same time I'm really worried myself just about how healthy we're going to see him long term not because of this particular injury per se but more so because if he's not in shape and you're putting that extra weight um, on his landing from these remarkable jumps that's what's scary to me. And I don't know that that he's in the shape that he needs to be in right now. But Adam, the question is, is it is it possible to get into game shape without playing in any games? No, no, of course. That part, that part for sure. You're right. He's you can't be in game shape, but at the same time, you need to eat well. You need to make sure your diet is maintained. And no, at that age. We know not just ourselves, certainly for me, but a lot of young players throughout the league and historically throughout the league, but certainly nowadays when everyone's so health conscious, there are a lot of young kids, 19, 20, 21, that don't know how to eat right. They don't know how to take care of their bodies. And that's the concern that people certainly have right now around Zion. Is he also doing the things in terms of his diet? Is he doing the things in terms of making sure there are other ways you're not going to be in game shape and it's going to take you a while and you're going to be stiff and there's going to be a part of you. There's also a concern about how you move. Will you re-injure it? There's a mental aspect, all of that stuff. But the real big issue is, is he in the best physical condition he can be considering that he's coming off an injury, taking that into account? That's the concern for me. And no, you're around a lot of young players in, in the league. You understand what it's like mm -hmm. for these young guys, especially when you're injured. And probably, truth be told, he's always been the best athlete around. All of a sudden, this guy's got to watch for a while. I think depression starts to set in. And I'm not saying, like, I'm I'm diagnosing this guy as being clinically depressed. It's not a mental health issue. You just, yes. you just don't, you're just not as, you simply cannot be as engaged when you're not playing. Absolutely. Absolutely. What have you seen from guys around the league when they're when they're in this this position and, yeah, and trying to go through it? Yeah, it's tough because you've got to be so self-motivated. Because when you're not when you're not playing, everybody else in the organization is focused on what is happening on the court. Despite even if you're the num you're number one pick in the draft, the resources available to you are not as great as they are to everybody else who's who's playing. So not knowing the inner workings of how the Pelicans organization works. And I, and I do know that, I, or I should say, I am sure that whatever Zion needs, he can get. No doubt, no doubt. But at the same time, you've got to be even more self-motivated when you aren't playing and to make sure that you are following everybody's 
schedule everybody's orders to a T. Yes, yes. And it's interesting, you you bring something up about what's necessary and what's needed. And certainly the Pelicans will be there with that. But the original point that you that you just made about the idea that you're sort of going through it alone is what I was really referring to when I talk about that you go through this period that NBA players talk about this idea of loneliness because mm-hmm. when you're injured and you're there and, and NFL guys that I, that I have spoken to too talk about the same thing. They said what people don't realize as fans is that when you're injured, the team just has to move on without you. And Zion's case is certainly unique because the team may move on, but his billboard is still everywhere. His, his face is still everywhere associated with being the face of the franchise. But still, the team is, is doing things without you. They are participating in a, in, a, in a group mentality where they're all, all right, guys, we're all in this together. Let's go win it. And you're not there in those huddles. You're not there you know, after games and celebratory situations and, and going through the struggles. And that's just part of being a professional athlete. I just think it's a part that a lot of fans don't often see, just the loneliness that's associated with not being out there on the floor. And Adam, I also think it's going to be even more difficult for Zion because of the expectations that he's going to want to get out there. And there, there is no, there's no soft launch no. of a player returning from injury when you're not just the number one pick in the draft, but you're as heralded as Zion was. I mean, every single thing Zion did on the court last year in college basketball was the must watch. And we just don't have that this year in college basketball. And I don't know, I mean, you would know it better than I would, but I, I don't know when we're going to have that again especially if the age limit changes and kids can jump out of high school. I oh, thought yeah. what, was, what was interesting was last week he was on J.J. Reddick's podcast, and they recorded it a while back. But I, I listened to the whole podcast waiting for a headline and, and didn't get one until the very last question. There was, there was nothing that was interesting in the conversation with J.J. Until, <laughs> Zion, until Zion offered up the, I, wanted, I really did want to go back to Duke and Coach K told me, you can't. And then his mom said, whatever, like, I'm on board with whatever you want. And then she talked to his stepdad, and then they said, no, you can't. So, I mean, he, so he really did make it seem like he did not make the decision to turn pro. Yeah. I, there's a part of me that's not shocked by that, because I think he loved the college experience. And I think he also knew that things were just going so fast and it was exploding. The hype had been going on for a while, but once he stepped onto college campus, when he stepped on the campus at Duke, all of a sudden it went just to a whole nother level. And he knew that I think going to the NBA would go to another level beyond that. And yeah, the, 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 the hype machine was crazy, but he enjoyed his experience and he was also protected and he was in a, a team atmosphere and he's playing with guys that he really enjoys and hanging out. And another thing that happens to young players, and this has shifted in the NBA because the league has gotten so much younger. But another thing that happens is young guys all the time talk about how they get to the NBA and think that it's going to be just so great. And then they realize that guys on the team have families. Guys on the team have other obligations. And yeah, no, they were just hanging out. They're not just hanging out playing video games and going to practice and, and you know, going to, to eat together. Like, it's not that same team experience. It doesn't mean teams in the NBA can't be close because there are many that, that pull that off. 
but the college experience is just entirely different, even for a college athlete of, of his stature. And I do believe that he certainly, I, I, I'm sure that that's interesting because I, I always thought that to be the case. I thought he wanted to stay in school. There was just no way. That's the interesting part. People crush these college kids all the time and say, oh, what a dumb decision or I can't believe this. But really, it's so many other people in their lives that are kind of guiding them towards that decision. Donovan Mitchell wanted to return to school when he came out and he was just exploding in the pre-draft process. And everyone who worked with him said, I don't think you understand the potential that's here. And his mom had to be convinced to, to allow him to stay in the draft. And he was only 13th pick. So when you're Zion and you're number one and you're expected to carry a franchise, entirely different experience. And of course, there was no way he was returning to school. All right, coming up in open gym, Adam's got his head coaching debut this week, plus his NBA draft prospect matchup to watch, which he has been spot on over the past few weeks. And I'll give you what I'm pumped about coming up this week on the NBA schedule. That's next on open gym. So we had Coach Nick on B-Ball Breakdown on Twitter and B-Ball Breakdown on YouTube. We had him on a few weeks ago in the Going ISO Thursday edition of Rejecting the Screen. You can go back and listen to that one. Peter Vesey, I retweeted that one today. Ryan Rosillo, Sam Mitchell, Richard Jefferson, Kevin Willis was outstanding. But now, so, so I need, do I need to start calling you Coach Adam? So you're coaching eighth grade, your eighth grade daughter's basketball team, correct? Yes, the actual middle school eighth grade team. Uh, which you would think you would have to go through more of an extensive background check or anything than, yeah, than I, I would think I had to. Um, that being said, I can assure all the parents out there that my background totally <laughs> checks out. Um, all right, so so all right, so what fine. so what are we so what are you working with? What type well, of listen, what type of very, roster? What type of film work have you been doing? Yeah, well, so they needed a coach and uh, didn't have one, and and I had coached some last year, so they they asked me to be the the coach this year. The biggest thing is we just don't have a lot of time to work on stuff. One practice a week, one game a week is pretty much it. Um, and basketball, I don't think, is really a high priority in this area that I live. Uh, so basically, the biggest thing for me is just really teaching these girls the game. A lot of them are extremely inexperienced. And it honestly, it's been fun. We had we had uh, two practices. Two girls showed up to the first one. Granted, it was during Christmas break. It was during Christmas break, so you know, first practice. But uh, okay. we had the second one. There, there's a lot of inexperience, but the biggest thing is uh, teaching them a lot about defensive stances, fundamentals, and really knowing that we're going to have to just get after it defensively to be somewhat competitive. And then the other thing is, what's really interesting at this age with middle schoolers is confidence has to be taught and and it's something at all levels really but at this age it's fascinating uh especially having daughters who two teenage daughters a 16 year old and a 13 year old just understanding for these girls that it's all about confidence a lot of them actually have more talent than they than they think they do and it's a lot of just trying to pull that out of them and getting them to believe in themselves and if you can get them to play as a unit and play for each other but also just believe in themselves i can't tell you just coaching last year and helping out before and coaching some rec league teams and stuff, just how these girls can be down on themselves. And if you can change that and alter the mindset, it's uh, it's pretty rewarding experience. Actually. It's been, it's been fun. So are you, are you going to be reading books on how to build confidence in teenage girls? Uh, in, in, no. in, instead of Phil Jackson's book? 
no, I think Phil Jackson's book works. I think we're we're good. We we um, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time just trying to build confidence for my daughters. My my yeah, I mean, I was being serious. I wasn't I wasn't no, I'm, but I'm I am too. I'm saying that it's interesting though. I, I probably should. Uh my my older daughter, Avery, we I've been teaching her how to drive. And so there's a certain I had to say to my wife the other day, I, it was about the fifth time out. I was like, babe, I think she's getting a little overconfident at this point. She, she tried to go through a yellow light, you know, things like that. Stop sign. She's like, no, I stopped long enough. I'm like, no, no, we're going to stop this right now. I'm putting a stop to all this right now. But yeah, so it, I do think it's, uh, it's cool, though, to be able to impact, you know, your kids in a different way and coaching them. No, and Eden, your, your daughter, who's only five, when she's when she's a little bit older, just the rewarding experience to get to have them see you in a different light and and get to know some of their friends. That part's fun, too. And I just I'm always just amazed by a lot of times these girls that you can just feel step into a practice or a game. And you could tell that for a long time, like they can they think whether it's true or not, but they think that people don't believe in them. And so to have an adult step in and, and be there for them is is kind of cool to know that you play that role in their life. Am I am I now going to have to say whenever we talk about coaching? Am I going to have to start saying? And Adam, you know this better than anyone, or you know this just as well as anyone because you're and, and uh, because you know you coach. We actually we actually run a. Uh, I, I've set up this great elevator out of bounds play, so it works. It works about yeah, yeah, twice yeah, yeah. in the game to get my girls a layup, and then and then it doesn't work much after that. But uh, <laughs> but I love the elevator, and they love it too, just because it's called elevator. You know, an elevator screen. Like what's more fun to learn as a as an eighth grader? <laughs> uh, yeah, I could give you a few things. So what what do you've got? What do you have coming up on the the NBA draft prospect watch this week? Well, on Saturday, Louisville plays Duke, mm-hmm. and we've talked about Louisville before. Their big man Stephen Enoch, and and of course they have Jordan Wara, uh, but we haven't really talked Vernon Carey, who's who's a big for Duke and really the next lottery pick for them that you know of course there's some serious talent on duke Cassius stanley is a wing him and, and Wara will probably go head to head war is really having an outstanding season he's really developed throughout his entire louisville career and and trey jones also another another nba kid i mean duke's loaded with them but i'm excited to see carrie going up against again we talk about it every week about matchup of nba talent match that's what scouts want to see and they're going to be hyped about this one big game big atmosphere and how you know carrie handles a guy that's sort of bigger than him and and is a good defender and how you know he maneuvers through that is he is he able to find ways to score in the post the mid post you know can he step outside some can he use his his athletic advantage can he use his strength and all those things are going to be what appeal to the scouts and i'm excited to see that myself yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that. I'm going to be at the Bass Pro Tournament of Champions, so you can watch me on CBS Sports Network. Yes, Friday tune in. night, Friday night and Saturday night. So I'll see I'll see Cam Thomas, who's a five star senior from Oak Hill. He's going to LSU. Cameron Fletcher is going to Kentucky. Jeremy Roach is going to Duke. There's some some stars. How do you um, how do you prep for the for an event like that, Noah? Just a lot of a lot of research, a lot of googling. A lot. It's just, it's a lot. So you prepare for, and there's eight teams, and you could be calling, you could be calling any of them. So you kind of have to look ahead and think, all right, who do I think is going to win this game? So I'll prepare for Oak Hill. I'll prepare for Paul the Sixth. Prepare for a few others. I'm not going to say who I'm not really going to prepare for. And then if you get an upset, <laughs> you get an upset. But here's what I'm pumped about on the NBA side of things: Thursday night TNT, 
Game one of the doubleheader is is Celtics Bucks. They've got three games left this season. March twelfth also on TNT. April fifth is on ABC. And Friday we've got Miami and OKC. I kind of associate the two with each other. The East Coast OKC and and then OKC, you know, being Miami and then the West Coast OKC. And then Saturday we get our first ABC games of the year. And now I want to see how the ratings do on a Saturday ABC with Clippers Pelicans. It's again, it it's going to be hurt without without Zion, but maybe they maybe maybe they get a Zion sit down pregame or a Zion halftime interview and they're able to promote that in order to help the ratings and then 8:30 we've got the Lakers and the Rockets on ABC. One note I'll say on all that, Noah it's weird that entire Zion discussion we had. You talk about tremendous pressure and a million other reasons why you can point to why Zion's had crazy pressure on, and and I'm excited to, about his attitude throughout this whole thing, in spite of all that pressure. And one thing we didn't even mention until you just said it is just how much we've even talked about. People talked about the league's ratings being down and pointing to Zion's injury as being part of it. A guy that has never even been in the league hasn't played a regular season game. And we're talking about his injury as being a reason why the ratings have been down this year. And so I I, I just want to say one final time, I'm rooting for the kid. I, I really oh, yeah, like the kid, too. and I'm, we're really rooting for, for this kid to make it. Yeah, I always root for, in any sport, I always root for the top draft picks. Because I, ne- I never want anybody to be labeled a, a bust. Whether, mm-hmm. you know, whether the bank account says you are or not, I never want anybody to be labeled a bust and have to carry that around with them. All right, you can follow Adam on Twitter at Naismith Lives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Coming up on Thursday, the Going ISO edition, about 45 minutes with Nate Duncan from the Hollinger and Duncan podcast, Dunked on Basketball podcast as well. You go back and listen to all the other ones as well. All pretty much evergreen, Richard Jefferson, Sam Mitchell, Peter Vesey, Kevin Willis, Doug Gottlieb, Ryan Russillo, and a host of others. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.